Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning, Trinity. How are you doing today? You guys still in a turkey coma? You guys are like, ugh. Uh, Before we get rolling, I just feel like um, I got this in the first service, and I feel like I'm supposed to share this again. Um, The word is expectation. Sometimes we struggle because our expectation is wrong. You know, when we talk about making room for God and giving him, you know, the wheel to, to the car of our life, part of that is also giving him our expectations and allowing him to establish his expectations in us. How many of you know sometimes every once in a while we have wrong expectations? If you live enough of your life with the wrong expectations, you live in sorrow and brokenness and you never experience joy. Some of you are stuck today because your expectations are in the wrong place. And we need to allow God to reset our expectations. Of not our life, and it's not making them lesser. It's bringing them into alignment more with his heart, what he wants to do with us. Life rarely unfolds the way that we anticipate it to, right? How many of you can look at the book of your life and go, yeah, didn't expect that, right? So oh, shut your eyes for a second. We're just going to take a second. We're going to talk to God. Again, we hear God. The Bible says that his sheep hear his voice. If you know God, you hear him. And we know that God hears us. So I just want you right now just to pray. Just ask God. Say, Lord, will you reset in my heart the right expectations? Expectations for us and then for the world around us. Give him permission to do that. All right, that's it. Sometimes we live lesser because uh, we're always in, in frustration because we have the wrong expectations. God wants you to, to operate in joy. In Him we live and we move and we have our being, and it's a beautiful thing. Did you have a good holiday? How many of you are you, you're, you're happy you made it through it? How many of you are going to miss the people that left? How many of you are like, don't let the door hit you in the butt on the way out? As you know what I'm talking about, right? We all have people like that. We had, uh, we had a very interesting uh, a holiday time. We actually went up into a cabin up in the Poconos, and we decided to rough it like the pilgrims did. We're in a cabin with electricity and toilets because we're not that crazy, right? And it was fun. We get up there, and it was a great time. We had all the kids up there, all the family. We had our turkey up there. We played board games. We only got in a few altercations with the family during board games. How many of you have family fun day with board games, but every once in a while they get hairy because family's involved? Monopoly is no longer allowed to be played in the Harris household because we can't handle Monopoly, apparently. We had a good time, and it was beautiful, and the kids had a ball. And um, I recognized that this was the turning of a page for us this next holiday season because we, are, we have an addition coming to our family. You know, in January, I'm going to be a grandfather. And um, so it, it's, it's a whole different thing. Now, I don't think I'm old enough to be a grandfather, but apparently I am. Apparently age and, and being ruggedly handsome does not matter when it comes to being a grandfather, but that's where I'm at. And I'm an early morning person. So I was up early one morning and I had my coffee out and I was meditating on, on God and, and just what next year was going to look like. And I, I started to drift toward little baby Joanna, who I'm probably going to call Jojo. I'm a grandparent. I can say whatever I want, right? Hallelujah. And I started to wonder, what's she going to be like? 
You know, is she going to be, you know, what, what color? Is she going to have brown hair? Is she going to have curly hair? You know, she could be tall like her mama, short like her daddy. No, just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, Ty. Um, you, will she be gifted musically? Will she be athletic? Will she be smart? I mean, what, what's going to happen? I, her whole life, I know this, the Bible tells us that, that, that while he knew us in the womb. The Bible tells us that before the day we took any of our breath, all of our lives were, were set before him. So I started to just wonder. Then I started to pray. I started to pray into her life, even though she isn't taking a breath here. I started to pray good things into her. Yeah, Lord, I pray that you bless her. I pray that God, that you give her everything she needs. I pray that she knows you at a young age and she never departs from knowing you. Good things. How many of you know that we should bless our children, not curse them? There's power of life and death in words. Be careful what you speak. Speak life over your children. That doesn't mean you can't acknowledge their stupidity at times. Right? That was really dumb. Don't do that again. I love you. Right? But speak life to your children. So as we were, you know, coming through this thing, I, I realized that when you, when you anchor to, to Christmas and this holiday season, it really deals with not just now, but, but the future. It's this weird thing. It's like, it, 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 it's, it's, it's part past, but part tomorrow. It's such a unique blend. This crazy tension of uh, what used to be and what could be. Um, I got word a couple days ago that my, my first spiritual father, Frank Porcelli, passed away. I met Frank at South, uh, Southeastern University. He was in charge of the cafeteria there. And Frank was about this tall and about this wide. He was a perfect Italian ball. He was. Beautiful man. And um, he was the first man in my life to recognize what could be in me and also recognize the brokenness in me. And for four years, he helped to rebuild me. And he'll always have a dear place in my heart. And one of the, my most fondest memories of Frank, Frank was, uh, you know, he was like me. We had the same love language, which was uh, food. And uh, we were getting ready. We were living in the married housing uh, dorms at South, Southeastern University. And we were fine during the year, you know. I was, uh, I was, I was going to school full time. Uh, I was working in the cafeteria about 30 hours a week. And I was also a youth pastor uh, making $25 a month. Woo! You know, $25 a month. Robin worked at a, at a little department store using her degree and stuff like that. And we, we had no money. Every bounce of money I had would go to school and all that stuff. And, and we were usually fine because we could eat in the cafeteria and all that stuff was great. But we were coming up into the holidays and the cafeteria would be closed. And we didn't have anything. And I remember uh, Frank called me over. And he says, hey, I got, I got something in the cooler I got, I got to show you. So I walked with him in the cooler and he handed me a ham. I think I told this story. It was a frozen ham. It was like a bowling ball. And he goes, Merry Christmas. And I cried. He didn't know we didn't have ham. He didn't know we didn't have anything. So he hands me this ham. I didn't even know what to do with it. I never cooked a ham before. This is before Google, right? How many remember life before Google? So he went home. I took this frozen ham. Didn't thaw it out. Christmas Day, put it in the oven. Set the oven to 250. That should be fine. Should cook maybe in an hour. We'll be fine, right? In about an hour. Hour came in. We started cutting into the ham. We got down about an inch. And we ate an inch worth of ham, put it back in the oven, and we waited. We ate the ham an inch at a time for all of Christmas Day. It was beautiful. One of my most favorite Christmases. So when I think of Christmas, I think of Frank. And I know that he has now turned a page from death into life. And then I, I remember the first Christmas um, that we had without my mother. Uh, my mother was like the queen of Christmas. She was a baker. So at Christmas time, she was everybody's friend. 
because everybody loved all the stuff that she baked. She was the cookie monster. She was. She'd bake cookies. She would make cookie trays, and she'd give them out to all of her friends and her families, and they weren't these little small weenie cookie trays. They were the big dogs. My mother, I'm not making this up, she would make 15 different varieties of cookies, put them in five-gallon buckets all over the place, and then load up these cookie trays, and we'd have to deliver them. And let me confess to you, not every cookie that was placed on that tray necessarily made it to its destination. We'd get into the buckets, and who ate the cookies in here? And my dad would throw me under the bus, and I'd throw my brother under the bus, and we lived like that. Um, I remember the first year of Christmas without her, uh, Robin was in the, uh, the kitchen, and she was using my mom's mixer and attempting to bake some of my mother's cookies, and just the smell made me cry. What is it about Christmas and those things that trigger such deep emotions in us? It carries the stories of the past, but it also points us to the future. Christmas is one of those weird things that we can actually look at Christmas and we can chart the seasons of our lives to this holiday. It's one of the few holidays you can do that. Thanksgiving, we do that. You know, Christmas, we do that. Even more so than sometimes even Easter. It takes us back, but it also puts us forward. So what is it about this Christmas time that, that charges us with such emotion? So many memories. Well, I think it's because Christmas at its core was the birth of something new for the earth. And if it's like a normal childbirth, birth is, is the weirdest thing because when you have a baby, it's the ultimate joy, but all that joy comes through incredible pain. So you get this, this mixture of emotions and things to bring something beautiful uh, back into focus. You know, the world before Jesus came was a, um, was a cold, dark, chaos-filled world. Evil had encompassed the planet and encompassed the earth. It was a harsh and it was a cruel time. And the people back in that day, they, they suffered. They suffered under the weight, under the oppression of a lack of light, a lack of goodness. So the people did what people do when they're oppressed. They started to cry out. They cried out to God and, 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 and they, they asked for God to relieve their pain. And something amazing happened. A couple thousand years ago, God heard them. He heard their cries. God does not turn deaf ears to our cries. He heard them. Isn't it a beautiful thing to be heard? I think it's part of the core of humanity to want to be heard. He gave us a voice for a reason. So um, every Monday, let me tell you what happens to me every Monday. I'm not like normal pastors. Mondays, usually pastors take Mondays off. I don't. I like to get back in there. I like to do sermon prep on Monday because I just, I have a lot of people that need my stuff. I got to give it to them through the week so you can see the screens and all the stuff. So I get in there Monday fresh and early and I start to, to work on my talk for the, the following week. I have a pretty good idea what I'm going to say anyway, but so I, I'm a kind of guy. I know some guys could go to the coffee shop, listen to music, stuff like that. When I work on my stuff, it has to be silent. You need quiet, which the animals in my house know. So on Mondays, they go bananas just to spite me, I think. So Mondays start like this for me. I get up about 6, 6.30. I sneak downstairs. After my quiet time, I start working on my stuff. And I'm good to about 8, 8 o'clock. And the house is quiet and everything's fine. At 8 o'clock, you know, Robin gets up and she leaves and she goes to work. Tori's up. She leaves a little earlier, goes to work. The second Robin shuts that door, our animals start to go nuts. 
because they know I need quiet, but they can't do that. The dogs start to bark. They start to fight. They start to run around. Even the cats. The other day, I'm not making this up. I'm working on the thing, on my talk, and the dogs are going nuts. So I'm, I'm speaking to the dogs in a nurturing voice to try to get them to calm down. I'm like, will you shut up? And as I'm speaking to the dogs, I hear the piano start to play. I look off to the side, and one of the cats is running up and down the piano, going, da -da -da -ding, da -da -ding -ding, and then every once in a while hitting a dissonant note, Dang, because it's a cat, right? I took a video of it. Rob was like, I don't believe you. She's like, oh, the cat is on the piano. I'm like, I know. And I speak to these animals, and I ask them to be quiet. I ask them to honor God and what I'm trying to do. I know the cats can understand me. The dogs are just, they have no idea what's going on. All I want to do is be heard. And every Monday, I realize I'm not. And instead of peace, I feel frustration because don't we get frustrated when we're not heard? We all want to be heard. So the people cried out to God. And God heard them. And he didn't give them what they wanted. He gave them what they needed. How many of you know that there's a difference? There is. The people needed a Messiah. They needed somebody to lead them. They needed somebody to break the chains of darkness, to bring light back into the world. They needed somebody to come and to make things right. Now, when I hear words like that, I don't know about you, but I think, okay, if we're going to get this thing done and darkness is, is ruling on the earth, we need to send down the big dog. Somebody's going to have to go down there and take care of business. You know, it's kind of like in the house, you know, in our house, the Harris house, if we have a skirmish among the children, I go in first and I'm like, y'all need to settle down. Everything needs to be, and if they don't listen to me, I'm like, I'm going to get your mother. Then they quiet right down because they don't want any part of that. You know what I'm talking about? You know, they, I would send the big dog. If I was God and I was trying to bring light to the planet, I would say, Michael, you know, the archangel, get the armies of heaven ready. We're going to split the sky. We're going to go to the earth and I want you to settle everything down. But God didn't send Michael and all the armies of heaven. He did send them, but not to fight, but to sing. He didn't send somebody to get everything done. He sent a child, a baby, a defenseless little person. What could a baby do against such ruthless hate? More than you and I could ever imagine. See, here's the thing. God's ways are not our ways. God understood our problem more than we did. By the way, here's a little side note. All of us deal with problems and issues. Put those things in God's hands and trust that he understands what you need better than you do. Don't give God, don't invite God to do something and then give him a list of instructions on how you want them to be done. He is not your honeydew list guy. He's the God of the universe. The Bible says we lay our need before him. And then we listen for what he wants to do in us and through us in the midst of it. Are you with me? Trust him. It's okay. He won't screw up. God knew this. We didn't need a superman. He knew we needed a savior. And even more than that, he knew we needed a sacrifice. Because he understood the problem better than we did. So this is what he did. He heard the cries of the people. And he started to prepare the hearts of the people for what he was about to do. 700 years before the birth of Christ, he started to send his prophets with a message. Hope is coming. I've heard you. Hope is coming. Hang on. How many of you know that you can hang on if you know hope is coming? I can endure my workout 
if I know that there's a Danish on the other side. Right? Hope is coming. 700 years before, he started to prep the prophets. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are a small village among the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins were in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. He prophesied where the, the Savior is going to be born, Bethlehem. Isaiah 9, 2 says this, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For you enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms of blood stained by war will all be burned. They'll be fuel for the fire. Verse 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And his government and his peace will never end. He'll rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of the heaven's harmonies will make this happen. Why did God speak 700 years to these prophets about the coming of his son. 700 years before. Why did he drop that thing 700 years before? To inspire hope. To show people that goodness was coming. God understands this. Hope is a powerful force that still is just as powerful today as it was thousands of years ago. Mankind, void of hope, is in a sorry state. Hope is the thing that moves us beyond our struggle from where we are now and it propels us into the land where we could be, how life could be. These are some things that some famous people that have endured struggles have said about hope. Helen Keller said this, hope sees the invisible, feels the intangible, and achieves the impossible. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope. That overlying hope, you never give that up. And Desmond Tutu said this, and I just love this. Hope is being able to see that there is a light despite all of the darkness. Hope is the light that illuminates our world. So here's a question for us today as believers. How can you and I live as believers from not just a place of hope, but living in a hope that illuminates our world so that others can see us and we can direct them to the Father. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 15. Again, if you have our app, you get all my notes. If you have the U version of the Bible, look for live events, look for Trinity, you get all my notes. Let me encourage you, beloved. Don't just believe things because I tell you. Look at things with your own eyeballs. Know how to find things in your own book. Get your nose in the book. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, modern Christianity is like a lazy Christianity. Everybody tells us stuff. Don't get me wrong, that's good. But you need to get your nose in the book. The Bible tells us this, the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. There's nothing more powerful than the Holy Spirit illuminating the word that's in front of you in the morning, in the evening, whenever you read it. Are you with me? Get your nose in the book, baby. 
Romans 15, 13 says this. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you'll overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read the same, boy, uh, the same verse. This is in the Passion Translation. Listen to how the Passion puts this. This is just beautiful. It says, Now may God, the fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope. I love that image, to radiate with hope. So where do we start when it comes to us as believers living in hope? First, we need to know this. Hope is not a destination. Hope is found in a person. Hope is found in the person of Christ. Plain and simple. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Know this. Hope is not found in a religion. It's not found in a church. If you're just talking about bricks and mortar and steeples. Hope is not found in a set of rules and regulations. Hope is only found in one place, the person of Jesus Christ. It is. So for us to be disciples, we don't necessarily follow a religion. We follow a person. To be a disciple of Jesus means this, to orient your life, every area of your life, every aspect of your life around who Jesus is, how he lived, and what he valued and what he loved. Sometimes we get stuck in the, the mechanism of the church. And know this, mechanisms are cold. And they're dead. I, uh, my youth pastor told me this when I first gave my heart to Christ. He said, TJ, he says, if you ever drift, if you ever lose your way when it comes to following Jesus, how many of you know that the Bible says all of us like, like sheep have gone astray? Right? So if you ever lose your way, he goes, go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I said, why should I read that? Because it'll, again, it'll readjust your heart and lock you back onto the person of who Jesus is. He says, and then you'll be fine. And you know what? I've been doing this for decades now, and he was right. We orient our lives around a person. We're connected to Jesus. Because this thing happens. When you live close to Jesus, when you live connected to Jesus, a reaction happens. You begin to be like Jesus. You begin to shine. You begin to radiate his life. You become, you know, luminous in the middle of a dark world. In fact, let me just tell you this. One of the true tests of your faith is how you illuminate the world around you. If you're a believer and nobody knows you're a believer because, you know, it's like, you know, secret agent man and you're, in the, you're on the down low. I don't know if you're a believer at all. Now, you don't have to be a jerk. But the goal is to live with the value system of who Jesus is who he was. The goal is to shine. The goal of a disciple is very simple, to make other disciples. So do you shine? A test of a believer is, do you shine? Um, I've told this story before, but it's such a good story, I'm going to tell it again. Um, when we were in Chicago, um, one of the ladies in our church, she's married to this kid named Savit Pearl. Savit was a Buddhist. I was so excited to get to meet Savit because I have a book of Buddha and I, I had all these questions I want to ask Buddhist guys, you know, what you believe. So I started asking Savit these questions and he was like, he's like, well, I, I, I don't know any of this stuff. And I said, you know, Savit, you're a terrible Buddhist. And he would just say he was a Buddhist just to get the Christians off his scent. So we, I got to know Savit a little bit through some home groups. She'd bring him to home group stuff. Well, one day Savit came to me. He was very upset. Uh, Savit loved to drive fast in the 
in the, you know, the city land, your Chicago land, and the state of Illinois finally caught up with him because he fought the law and the, the law won. <laughs> it did. And he had like, a, I'm not making this up, he had like five or six hundred hours of community service time. He showed me a slip. I was like, did you beat up a nun? What did you do? And he lost his license. They, they took stuff away, so he needed community service stuff. So I thought to myself, Salva was a very smart kid. I said, you know what? Instead of having you push a broom, I'm going to have you work sound for one of our services for the weekend. We had three services, Saturday and two Sunday. He was the Saturday night, the Saturday night sound engineer. And I figured this. He would have to mix sound at two hours a clip, 500, 600 hours. He'd be there for like 22 years. Every Sunday, hearing the message of Jesus. Eventually, it's going to get in there, right? So he did that. So I became friends with Sabbath. And uh, one Saturday night, we finished our service. He goes, hey, he goes, man, he goes, I really enjoyed being with you. He goes, because I got a favor to ask you. So what's that, Sabbath? He goes, because my buddy is playing today down at the Metro, which is a place down in Chicago. He says, I'd be honored if you'd come in here. He's got a great band. I said, well, I love music. And I thought to myself, I've asked a lot of Savit to come and to do things for me, so I need to honor him. I said, Savit, I would love to go be with you. He goes, it's going to be pretty late light. I'm like, late night. I said, that's okay. We'll make it. He goes, oh, by the way, he said, my buddy's in a Marilyn Manson cover band. So I looked next to me, my friend Bill Dean was standing there. I said, Bill and I would love to go. And Bill goes, where are we going? I said, we're going to a concert. So we didn't even go and change. I had khakis on, a polo shirt. We headed down to the city of Chicago, and we walked down to this venue. I'm already tired because I just did worship that night for our church service. And I go in there, and let me just tell you this. It was a little different than the church service that I had left just a few hours ago. They were the last band playing, and it was just crazy, and it was loud, and it was nuts. And we're down there, and I'm trying to just kind of, you know, act natural. What do you do, you know? It was like Sesame Street, you know, two of these things do not belong here. Two of these things are not the same. Hello? And the whole night, we're just getting it out. And the whole night, this guy who's dressed in all black and weird stuff, and he comes up and he keeps, keeps circling me, and he looks at me, and I can hear mumbling stuff under his breath. So eventually, I'm there for like a few hours because the band plays at the end. By the way, they were really good. Uh, it was weird, but good. And this kid comes up to me, and he looks at me and goes, you don't belong here. And I'm wearing khakis and a polo shirt. And I'm like, what was your sign, Nostradamus? You know what I mean? Of course I don't belong here. And he goes, no, no. He goes, I can barely look at you. He goes, You're, he goes, you radiate light. He says, you don't belong here. He says, darkness. This is darkness, this place. You don't belong here. And I said, well, I said, um, on the contrary, what better place for light to shine than in the midst of absolute darkness? And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he went, ah, and he ran away. And I went, mission accomplished. <laughs> and then I was like, can we go home now? <laughs> I grabbed Bill, we went home, right? Light. As believers, we're called to radiate light. We're called to be different. Now, do me a favor. Don't be different just for the sake of being different. Christians do that all the time. Don't do that. If you do, tell them you go to a different church. I'm not going to mention the name of a church because every time I do, people send me emails. But we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to radiate light. Why? Because God is our source. When you're connected to the Father of lights, you can't help but to shine. It's how we're built. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 5. He said this, And you, beloved, are the light of the world. A city built on a hilltop cannot be hidden. Similarly, it'd be silly to light a lamp and then hide it under a bowl. 
When someone lights a lamp, she puts it on a table or a desk or a chair, and that light illumines the entire house. Verse 16, you are like that illuminating light. Let your light shine everywhere you go, that you may illumine creation, so men and women everywhere will see your good actions, may see creation at its fullness, may see your devotion to me, and may turn and praise your Father in heaven because of it. Did you see that? When we live our lives connected to Jesus, when we shine, we show people the way that creation was supposed to be. We illumine everything around us. What a beautiful thing. All from Jesus, who's our source. When we're connected to him, we radiate and we shine. And let me just tell you this. When you shine, you don't have to get into doctrinal issues with people. You don't have to try to to reason people into the kingdom. They see your life, and your life becomes a testimony of God's goodness and his greatness. We radiate hope. We radiate joy. We radiate all the good things that God promised for us. We radiate that things could be better. Their lives could be better. Hebrews 10.23 says this, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For that God can be trusted to keep his promises. He is the promise keeper. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Promises for us. Promises that they could take hold of as well. When you place your lives in the hands of the person of Jesus, we have hope. When we don't, you know what happens? We give our lives up to worry and doubt. Have you ever thought about this? What fuels your worries and your doubts? You know what it is? It's one of two things. It's either trust or sight. When you worry, we come to this place, well, I don't trust that God could take care of me. That's a trust issue. Remember we learned a couple weeks ago, what's it mean to trust God? Remember the three letters in Hebrew? To be covered to be swaddled, to be filled with life. If you missed it, go back. Was that last week, maybe? Maybe it was last week. I don't know. Go back and get the, go back and look at the DVD. Or, we don't have DVDs anymore. Go back and go online. Do that. It's either a trust issue or it's a sight issue. If you can't see God clearly, if things are murky and they're dark, we get afraid. Isn't it weird how the darkness plays with our imaginations and our minds? Just because you can't see it, it gets weird. It gets crazy, right? We, um, I think about this, you know, when you think about like, you know, the, the, the story of Peter. You know, Peter's out with the disciples and they're, they're out on the boat and a storm rises up and they start to freak out and Jesus comes out to them walking on the water as if they're not freaked out enough. Oh, look, here's Jesus walking on the water. Ah! And what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid. Thank you, Jesus. That should settle everything. And then Peter has this, this thing he throws out to God. He says, if you're Jesus, come out and invite me to come out and walk with you. And what does Peter do? He gets out of the boat. He starts to walk on the water. And everything's great and it's hunky-dory until what? Huh? His focus moves from Jesus to his surroundings. Matthew 14, 30 says this. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. What happened? What made Peter start to sink? What entered worry in from hope? Hope was, I can get out of the boat and walk with Jesus. His hope turned to doubt and to fear when what happened? He took his eyes off of Jesus. 
He was more focused on the wind and the waves. That's what darkness does. It obscures our vision. It limits our ability to see. When you don't see Jesus, when you can't see, it leaves us prey to the enemy and anything he could build and speak into us. So, so we're at this cabin this last weekend. It was beautiful. Um, we got up there right before this big ice storm hit. We were just getting the tail of it as we were driving. So we get up there. There's an ice storm. We have the first night. It's beautiful. I go to bed. I wake up about 3 in the morning, and I'm cold. And I notice that everything is pitch black. So I go out into the kitchen, and there's no power. Everything's pitch black. Dead, done. Poof, everything's done. So my first thought is this. Oh, my gosh. Because, you know, the stove's electric. Everything in there is electric. We've got, there's a, there's a big wood-burning stove, and then there's a fireplace upstairs. And I go, oh, my gosh, how are we going to cook to eat? I don't think about heat for survival. I don't think about, I just think, oh, my gosh, how am I going to cook to eat? So I wake up Robin, that's bad, blah, blah, blah. So I go into protector, you know, pioneer TJ ultimate dude mode. I stoke up the fire and the, the, it's a big, old, big, I mean, a big dog, old wood burning stove. I get that thing super hot and it's pitch black outside and I'm trying to get everything going and stuff like that. So I, I, I go through the wood. It's still, it's about four in the morning now, still pitch black. I go outside to grab some lumber, some, some wood and I hear something move in the leaves pitch black. And I see just this dark shadow rustle. And then it starts to come toward me. And I do what any fearless Greek of Spartan blood would do. I run back in the house <laughs> as fast as I can with a log of my hand. Go, ah! And Robin goes, what's wrong? with I said, there's something out there. There's something out there. And I go, she goes, yeah, you know what's out there? The dog. I put the dog out there to go to the bathroom. So she comes in with our 14-year-old miniature schnauzer who's this big but you know what the darkness does? The darkness turns schnauzers into Sasquatches out in the wild, right? Think of your worries. They all start here, right? But what does the darkness do? Magnifies them. Our worries, our anxieties, our fears. We spend a lot of times worrying about things that never happen because our schnauzers turn into Sasquatches. And things larger, if there were such things in the woods, larger than a Sasquatch, right? Are you with me? When you focus on Jesus, we get clarity, we get light. He is the light of the world. And with that clarity, we get hope for the future. So for us, to live as people of, of the light, to live in hope, the first thing we have to do is we, we remember that, that, that hope is found in a person. So we anchor to that person. It's not a destination, not a far-off thing. It's a person. The second is this. If we want to live as people of hope, we have to understand that hope is not meant for us to keep, you know, to be kept to ourselves, but hope is meant to be shared. It's meant to be passed. We're not ponds, beloved. We're rivers. God pours into us, and we pour out into others. Look at the passage again. Romans 15, 13, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow. Everybody say overflow. You will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything that God does is meant to, do, to be done in excess. Why? So you can keep it all for yourself? No, so you can share it. That's the crux of the gospel. And by the way, you know, it says we will overflow with confident hope. How do we overflow with confident hope? Through the power of who? 
the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes us overflow with hope. It's our connection. He is our connection. It's the power of the Holy Spirit living and moving through our lives that help us to radiate with hope. When the Holy Spirit is active in your life, you can't help but to radiate with hope. It changes everything. He changes everything. You see, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're yielded to a life of the Holy Spirit, radiating with hope isn't a task. It's a byproduct of a Spirit-infused life. Just the way that it is. What does an apple tree do to produce an apple? Does he wake up in the morning and go, okay, it's time to produce an apple. Here we go. One, two, three. <laughs> it's coming. I can feel it. No. He simply exists the way that he was supposed to exist. He becomes. That's what we do with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. When you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, the natural thing is that we leak. We leak the kingdom everywhere that we go because there's an overflow there. The kingdom infuses us. The Holy Spirit infuses us. And again, what is the goal of the kingdom of God for us? It's to, for the kingdom of God to be released on our planet now. It's the Lord's Prayer. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth that it is, as it is in heaven. That's part of God's will for us. So here's the question. Why is the kingdom so murky for us sometimes? We talked about this a few weeks ago. It's here, but it's not here. It's now, but it's in the future. Why is it so murky? Is God kind of double-minded? Does he not know what he wants to do? No. God knows exactly what he wants to do. Do you know why it's murky and a little weird sometimes? You and me. We're the main delivery systems for the kingdom. If you choose to partner with God, the kingdom comes now. If you choose not to, the kingdom hovers and it waits. We know the kingdom's in heaven. How do we know that? Because Jesus prayed, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let it come now. It's there waiting to come. God's waiting for the delivery system. You know who that is? Us. We can live for ourselves or we can live for the kingdom. We can live as those that have been rescued and remember where we came from or we can live as people that are rescued and forget. Don't ever forget where God's brought you from. Don't ever forget. So the Holy Spirit empowers us. He infuses us. And then we leak. We leave footprints of the kingdom everywhere we go. So during the pandemic, Robin had this great idea. She wanted to paint the house. And initially I thought that was a great idea because in my mind, it'd be about a half hour, 45 minutes tops. And then I didn't realize, in my mind, the house was like a room. In her mind, it was the house. Every room. The bathroom took us like three days. I hate powder blue. It gets everywhere. So we had this crazy thing happen. While we were doing it, it was an all-hands-on-deck opportunity. We paint everywhere. We all the furniture in the middle of the room. And we had, you know, we had uh, tarps down and everything. And somebody in our house that wears a size 14 shoe, stepped in paint, and walked all through the house. So he still has not owned up to it, even though he's the only one in the house that wears a size 14. And his first name rhymes with Moby. <laughs> so I, I trailed his journey, which went from the living room into the bathroom 
into uh, where the, the office is at, into the dining area, back into the kitchen, up the stairs. When I finally got him, I said, Toby, you walked in me. He goes, no, I didn't look. And I looked at the bottom of his shoes, and they were clean. Do you know why? He had wiped them off on all the carpet in the rest of the house. So Toby got the privilege and the joy of cleaning up all of his footsteps because we had nothing else to do except that and survive the pandemic, right? Remember those days? The good old pandemic days. Remember those days? Residue. Footprints. Beloved, as believers, we're supposed to leak. We're supposed to affect the environments of every place that we go. That's what leaking does. We are more about power of the kingdom than we are about clean doctrine. And don't get me wrong, I love clean doctrine. But we've made that the tip of the spear rather than the power of the Holy Spirit affecting the environments around us. Romans 14, 17 puts it this way. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what we leak. Goodness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. So when we move from darkness into light, those things that were in the shadows, they don't freak us out as much anymore because light dispels darkness. Shadows that are formed in darkness, they start to lose their power. And don't forget, we are part of a kingdom now that's a kingdom of light. And we leak light everywhere that we go. We affect the environments. Ephesians 5, 8 puts it this way. Once your life was full of sin's darkness, but now you have the very light of our Lord shining through you because of your union with him. Did you hear that? The light of God shines through you because you're connected to him. Your mission is to live as children flooded with his revelation light. And the supernatural fruits of his light will be seen in you. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. The kingdom bears supernatural fruit. It does. So how do we share this supernatural fruit? How do we share hope? How do we share light? How do we leak? You know how we leak? There's, there, there's two ways that we leak. The first is, is we are fully empowered with the Holy Spirit. That means this. When the Holy Spirit acts us, he, when he asks us to engage in spiritual things, we say yes and we do it. We're a delivery system. That means this. When you're around sick people, we pray for the sick and they recover. When you're with troubled people, you pray for those that are troubled and they experience peace. If we never step into the void, we never experience the miraculous. You have to be willing to step into the void. You have to be willing to take a step and to take a chance. To be used by God. I know what you think. Well, Pastor, I, you don't understand. I'm not intergalactic. I can't do that. Every once in a while I cuss and I kick the cat the other day. Kicking the cat is fine in my book. <laughs> right? By the way, it's not about you. It's about the Holy Spirit living inside of you that gets things done. You know what keeps you afraid from stepping into those areas, thinking that too much of it is built on you. Stop it. You're not that important. We're available. That's all that we are. So you step into the void. You pray. You become people of light. You can do that. Well, Pastor, I'm not used to praying to people who get sick. Change it. You can get used to it. You can get used to showing love and compassion when everybody else is throwing stuff at people and, and tearing them apart. I got thrown under the bus last week because... Uh, we had something happen and somebody did something really bad. 
And a few of the people were like, well, we got a hammer and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, we need to, you know, before we do anything crazy, we lead with love. We lead with restoration. And that's, you know, it was, that was, some people were like, yeah. And other people were like, well, what's restoration? I don't understand it. We are different. It doesn't make sense. And the second thing we do is this. If you want to radiate hope and you want to leak the kingdom, share your story. Your story is one of the greatest things that you could ever possess when it comes to seeing somebody change a life. Your story is that powerful. Do you know that? Do you know that your story is so powerful that in the book of Revelation, the Bible tells us this, the enemy, the devil, in the end, he's killed by two things. He's, he's taken out by two things, the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony of the saints. The blood of Jesus and your story. Think about that. That's ridiculous. That's how powerful your story is. And by the way, when I tell you we got to share your story, I'm not talking about the, the, you know, the cleaned up version. I'm talking about your story, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know what happens sometimes when we kind of, we share people with, you know, with, with people a modified story is we, we devalue the power of the gospel. Share your story. We had, um, at our church in, in, um, in Wisconsin, we had a beautiful older couple, and they were the pillars of our church. And I mean, just incredible people. And everybody there, you know, she was like the spiritual mom of the church. And one day, Robin and I were sharing a meal with the family. And they told us a little bit about their story. They both had not grown up in the church. In fact, he grew up, his family owned uh, pubs. Uh, so he grew up in a bar. He met her in a bar. And um, they met young. She was in high school. He got her pregnant. And his dad said, well, you got to marry the girl now. So he married a girl. Still didn't know Jesus. Had a couple other babies. I think she was in her mid-20s when she became a believer, then he became a believer. And uh, I said, man, that's a powerful story. I said, you got to share that. And I remember she looked at me, she goes, I could never share that, Pastor. She goes, I, I, people would never look at me the same, and I could never share that. And I said, oh, contrary. I said, you have to share it. I said, because your life is a living example of what God can do if you trust him. You started in brokenness, and now look at you. You got kids everywhere, and you have a whole church that, that aspires to be like you. I said, but they don't really know you. They don't know your story. They think that it was, you know, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then this lady right next to them. I said, they need to know that, that someday they could be like you if they follow God's path. And it was weird, but eventually they said, we'll share our story. And it just revolutionized our church. It was ridiculous. The power of their story. There's power in your story. Don't be afraid to share it. Don't be afraid to share your fears, your anxieties. Be human. All of us are becoming. We're human beings. None of us have it all figured out. One of my most favorite passages in the Bible, I know it's weird. It's when uh, the, the father brings the son uh, before the disciples and, and Jesus and and he has seizures. And there's a, the Bible tells us there's a demon inside of him. And he would throw his son into the fire in the water trying to kill him. And he goes to Jesus and he goes, he goes can you, you know, he goes, my son is, is terribly ill. He says, I would love it if, if you could help him. That would be great. And Jesus goes, what do you mean if I could help him? And then he immediately backs up. And he says, Jesus, he goes, help me in my unbelief. And I get where he's coming from. Can you imagine all the doctors he brought his kid to? All these people that promised these healings. Oh, I could fix this. I could fix that. He was a, a father that was worn down, full of disappointment. 
And finally, he comes to the source of hope, and Jesus heals him, and it revolutionizes him. But before he heals him, he answers. Jesus answers the, the, the father's cry, help me in my unbelief. He does that for us too, if you ask him. So I have an assignment for you for the holidays. Yay! There's no homework over holiday break. Well, there's homework here, baby. Here's your homework. You have a whole month. Share your story with one person. It doesn't have to be like, you know, the Encyclopedia Britannica version. Share with them your story. Share with somebody some way that God has shown you goodness. Leave footprints of the kingdom somewhere. Share your story somewhere and see what God would do. Step out. Let's shine and be the people of hope that God created us to be. So bow your heads. Two things I want to do real quick today. The first is this. If you're here and you're beaten down, maybe the holidays kick things up and hope seems like it's far away. One of the powers of the church is this. We hold each other up. We do not let people run off alone. We lift you up when you're down. When you're, your heart is broken, we come alongside of you. We'll be here to pray with you. Come up and get prayer. Let us lift you. And second, maybe you're here today and, and when I talk about shining and radiating hope, even when I talk about being empowered by the Spirit, that's something that's like seems far away from you. I want to encourage you today. Come up and let us pray for you. Pray that God would empower you and God could, could deploy you and use you to be light in this dark world, a beacon of hope. So I want you just for a second, I want you just to lock in and have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. Ask him, say, God, what do I need from you? And listen to what he tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.